0: Welcome back. Well, welcome to the Indie Worldwide podcast. Welcome back into the Indie Worldwide universe. I have with me today Dash. Uh, how do you say your full name? Dashiel Barclays? Like this?
1: Dashiel. Dashiel Barclays. Yeah.
0: Dashiel Barclays. Founded a wishlist service for adult creators. We started building it in back in July 2020. I think maybe that's around the time we yeah. first intersected because uh, we met, I think, probably very originally through Twitter, but. Um, the first time I remember talking one-on-one was at a uh, Indie Worldwide event. Since then, <laughs> Wish has really blown up. You're at almost 40000 a month now in revenue, not MRR. Maybe we can talk a bit about what makes your business and your revenue model unique in a bit. You're mostly solo, solo, I guess, with your spouse slash co-founder. And I don't mm-hmm. think you have any employees, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, exactly. Although I'm trying to uh, learn how to outsource a little bit.
0: It's hard. I've met very few indie hackers who've really nailed the outsourcing. And I'm always super impressed when I do meet one because it's like such a different um, skill set. You,
1: yeah. Do you know anybody building in public who like has mastered it?
0: I don't know about building in public, building in private. Yes. Or just like okay. building in general. It's like um, a guy mm-hmm. who joined last week, Chris Rorok, something like that. Yeah. His whole business is like built around being a really effective delegator so he might be a good person to talk to he's built this like uh, service that helps you find agencies and they're doing like a million dollars a year or something and everything is very very well delegated For, at okay. least it seems from the outside maybe it's a mess on the inside but he seemed way <laughs> too calm on the call to not have things like <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: under control
1: it'd be cool to see more like content about that but you you had him on the show you like interviewed him he, he talked about or that no, was some... we just
0: we just spoke when he, and when he joined. I'm trying to get oh. better at talking to everybody that joins and oh, trying cool. to form some, just getting a better mm-hmm. sense of why people are joining and what they need. Maybe, yeah, maybe let's dig on that a little bit. What have you tried so far with outsourcing? How we'll are you say... running your team right now?
1: Okay, so I've like tried a- along the way, along my journey to outsource at different times. And I thought like even before launch, so I launched July, 2021, and even before launch, I tried to outsource stuff just because I thought like it would be a good skill to learn. And the, my first attempt with that was really hard. Like I went on Fiverr, I asked somebody if they were interested in building like part of what I'm doing, and and they mm-hmm. wanted me basically to scratch my whole mm-hmm. whole and start all over nice again. In the heart. What is that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no. Look at my code. They just like were like, oh, you you shouldn't build this in React. You should build this in React and Node is what I use. But they're like that doesn't scale, and you should use Django. And I didn't really know a lot, and I didn't know what Django was so much. I mean, I've heard of it, and I, I don't like. I'm very new, and I was like, oh my god, are they right? Like I I was like I didn't know what to do because like this is somebody I'm going to somebody who seems more experienced than me, and they're telling me like I'm doing everything wrong, so. That, I asked a bunch of people, like, what do you think of this? And they were like, no, that person is just wanting to, like, they don't just don't want to do work in a code base that they don't know and they want. So that's hard when you're outsourcing. And especially if you're like, I think a lot of indie hackers maybe are in maybe in a similar position to me where they're not like super, super great at coding, either they're self-taught or, you know, if you're, you're good at coding, but, but you're also good at marketing. So like, you're not maybe as knowledgeable in coding as somebody who you're going to go to hire. So when that person tells you something, you know, it's hard to know like what they're saying, what to listen to. And that was my first experience. So luckily I, I didn't go with them because that would have like taken me forever then to, and, and then I'd have to learn Django because then I'd, I'd have to do the rest in it. So that was my first attempt. Did not go well, and then I tried again recently. I've been starting more, and I've been asking a lot of people what they, how they outsource. And it turns out that a lot of indie hackers don't outsource, or they've tried and it's been a failure. But we're making all, all this money, and I want to use it to like offload some of my my work. I don't like that more time but just it's just a skill that's really hard to figure out. I did succeed a little bit in the last like month. So, I learned from a lot of other indie hackers that it's very hard to outsource hard things like problems that you are having difficulty solving. So, which is mm. basically the problems that I want to outsource, I want Right. To, yeah. So, it's like if you're having a mysterious bug that you don't know if it's coming from your database, you don't know if it's coming from your backend server or what, like that's going to be really hard for somebody to come in and fix for you. Um, because you have to give, like, I can't see any way around not giving you, you have, it seems like you have to give them like your login to all these things. Cause it could be anywhere, you know, like if this is like a, somebody called it like an infrastructure problem, like, you have to trust somebody. So it's very difficult. You have So what a lot of people told me is like, you have to find things that like are easy for you and just outsource those things, things you already know, which is, I wish that you could outsource the hard things though. That's what I want to do.
0: Yeah. Like I think that's, when I outsource something, my goal is to find somebody who can do it better than I could have done it in the first place, right? Like mm-hmm. one, I don't want to be doing the work, but then two, I want it to get done better than I can do it. I want someone that's really good at that one thing to do it. I think it might just come down to budget. Like, if you have enough budget to pay someone well, then you can get someone who's really good, right? But if not, then it becomes a lot harder. That's where I'm at now, where I, like, don't have budgets for paying people, so I have to convince people based on, like, other reasons.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, something they want to yeah. learn or something they want to do. Well, yeah, then yeah, there's a trust issue, right?
1: So, like, I have a good amount of cash flow that I can use to pay somebody, and I haven't. I just haven't found somebody that I would like to use someone that was like recommended to me so that I could trust them. And I haven't found anyone who's been recommended to me or like somebody who has a mutual connection that knows the stack that I know. But I've been sort of experimenting with people volunteering on the, on the code. And that's helped me also just learn how to, like I've never really used Git that way or GitHub that way with more than one person. So that's been kind of educational for me. And uh, so yeah, this month I did... Some outs- I also outsourced um, an email thing, so it was like setting up D, like these things on your email that make it you not go to spam, basically. So yeah,
0: all that like DMARC, SPF stuff. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I outsourced that. So that was like the first person I hired ever, or whatever. Is that hiring if you outsource something? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. It's,
0: it's still hiring. It's just not a full time hire.
1: Yeah, so that was what I I've been experimenting with it. Oh, and and then I've experimented on Code Mentor, went badly. Upwork sort of bad. Yeah. Yeah. I would
0: say like you get recommendations, you give people like small starter projects, see how they do on that, increment on the depth of the relationship. But I don't know if there's like a cheat code or I definitely haven't found one where it's like guaranteed success. Yes, we'll work well together and you'll be able to jump right in and be effective.
1: Yeah. A lot of people have said the, give them a small task. And another thing is if you post on Upwork or CodeMentor, just post something in the original post that's like, make sure you mention the word, like, baloney or something and when you contact me. And then if they do that, you know, they actually read the post because a lot of people that don't read. The
0: yeah. Post. If I go on Upwork, I'll, I'll make a section that's like, explain to me what the job is. And that's one of the things they have to respond with. And yeah. Then I know, like, at least they read and understood it. Like, in yeah. your own words, explain it back to me.
1: Good. That's but better. I
0: don't know if that'll work as well for like, higher... Order tasks. I've only really tried outsourcing on Upwork things that are really very simple to do and don't take that much training. Like one Loom video is enough to onboard somebody on like a data collection task, but maybe not on a, updating this code base that i am the only one that's ever worked in before task.
1: Yeah. There's so much to outsourcing that I have like just so many questions about it. And one of them is like, what do you outsource? Like, how do, I don't know. It's not a process, like, what do you outsource? How does that look like when you do it? You know, what what is what should you not, not outsource because it's just impossible? And the whole process, I I've never seen like it'd be great if there's like a book just written about somebody, especially like an indie hacker going through this stage where like they're now about to like go from basically solo to a team like this this movement. There's not a lot of information about that.
0: All right, next indie worldwide workshop, <laughs> we'll find some people who've done this and. Oh put yeah, it that would be
1: really good. Yes, I would definitely go to that.
0: Cool. Mm-hmm. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll find some people. I have a couple of people in mind who I think would be good, but I w- I'll solicit recommendations from the internet. All right, let's back up a little bit and give some more people, uh, some people, some more context on you. Can you give us those bullet points? What is, what is Wishtender, first of all? Why are you the one that's building it? And how's that been going?
1: <laughs> Wishtender is a wish list for content creators to get gifts from fans so if you're a content creator if you've ever seen like a wedding registry um, a lot of people when you go to their wedding they'll send you a link to their wedding registry and there's gifts all over this profile with the banner of them and their spouse and and uh, you pick an item to pay for sometimes it's ordered for you sometimes you just give them the cash so it's kind of like that although we just do the the cash. We just sent the cash. So you're funding the gift. But instead of friends to family or friends to friends, it's people who don't know each other buying gifts for people they don't know, you know, and they're, they want their privacy protected. So it's very similar to these wedding registries, but it uh, caters to people who want to protect their uh, anonymity or privacy.
0: And you've started off, I believe, on this this project not because you were solving your own problem because you're solving a your friend's problem if i remember the dash story correctly how did that come to be
1: i had been looking for as so i taught myself to code and then i'd been looking for some sort of profitable idea and my friends knew about this so one of them came to me and said they wanted me to build like a wish list page for them and they would give me 50 percent of the the money they made through this page and I thought, well, if this one person is willing to pay me 50%, then there's probably a lot of people willing to pay me less. And they also thought that too. And they helped me do a little bit of market research. And it turns out there were a lot of people who had tried to uh, to find a solution similar to this and it didn't go very well. And and basically they were very excited about the, what I wanted to build. So yeah. well,
0: that's good. Mm-hmm. And then you start building, and it took you how long to build your first MVP?
1: It took me a year, and that's I think a that's a long lead time. Yeah, I think that's longer than what it takes most people. But I also just learned to code, so through right. the whole thing, I was learning to code. I also wrote unit tests for the first like five months, which slowed everything down. And then eventually, I was like, okay, this is. I found out people weren't actually writing unit tests for their like, other projects. And you're just so following
0: the like software engineering advice, like write your test yeah. first and then the code, which is great, I think, if you're working at a big company, but if you're an indie hacker trying to ship something quickly, it's mostly just getting in your way of finding out if the market wants what you're building, right?
1: Yeah, and I had to learn how to write like unit tests, too. So it was like, it was taking, it took like five times longer than it would have. Like every unit test took me like five times as long as building the feature,
0: In the meantime, while you were building, were you still talking to customers or did you like get this initial idea, start building, then do you go, go do marketing again?
1: It was, it was sporadic. It was like a a lot of, uh, in the beginning, it was a lot of market research for like the first month. And then it was sporadic into, and and a little bit of marketing sporadically until launch. And so yeah, it was mostly in the beginning and then post launch, there was more marketing and and market research again.
0: And then what did, what did the launch look like for you? Like, is this a, can you even post this product on Product Hunt? Do they have any anything against like adult products for like an adult kind of services marketplace?
1: Yeah, I don't think we mentioned that before. But most of the users on WishTender are adult content creators because uh, they have a certain relationship with their clients, where they want to buy, you know, their clients want to buy them gifts, and also both sides want to be anonymous. But uh, you know, Product Hunt doesn't care. But also, like, it didn't seem relevant to my launch. Because Product Hunt has a lot of founders and investors. And in my experience and other people I've talked to experience, like if you, if you post on there, like you'll only get customers if you, if your customers are founders or business people and you'll get investors reaching out to you. But my... Customers are not going on product hunt every day. So it didn't really seem relevant. So I didn't launch on product hunt. Somebody hunted me later, but I, and that also didn't really affect, like it didn't do anything. For it. But um, yeah, when we launched, it's like, okay, we had this waiting list and we contacted everybody. And we, I thought my server was going to crash and everybody was going to come, you know, piling in on launch day. And that didn't happen. And instead, you know, it took, uh, I think any, I think people who signed up, but, they were maybe no longer interested, or they were maybe wrong about how interested they were. We probably didn't ask really great market research questions, and people will tell you they want to use something and they actually don't when it comes down to it. So it really, just like took you know several months of just re- DMing people, posting on Twitter, and just like getting people to pull them in and try the app.
0: So how big was that initial like launch list? Do you remember?
1: I think it was. It was, I think it was just like 66 people or something like that. Okay, <laughs> 66
0: no. people. You launched two of those. How many signed up? Maybe like six?
1: Um, maybe like probably like one or something. Like
0: one. Okay. So a crazy successful launch right out the, uh, right out the gate, launched to 66 people, got one sign up. But you, you didn't give up yet. You kept going, You <laughs> kept grinding. And I think like this is something most people run into. They launch, even if they do launch on a big platform. Typically, it doesn't go anywhere because they don't have anybody paying attention yet. And the, like, dirty secret of, like, Product Hunter getting attention on Twitter is that it's much easier to get attention once you already have people that care.
1: Mm. It's really
0: hard to do the cold start and, like, launch oh, yeah. to no- was, to nobody.
1: Yeah, and it was very, like, lonely when you're tweeting into like, and nobody's seeing it, and it just feels weird to like, you know, you're not getting any likes, and it feels kind of awkward to like keep posting every day when that's happening. It felt like, I don't know, very cold and lonely the first three or really the first until, let's see, until like December. So it was like we launched July. So until December, it was really like I, I was little, I was struggling with like. This is, it, it, like, when you reach out to people, like, their reactions aren't friendly, and and it didn't feel very, very good in the beginning, but I kept pu- pushing through it because people said it's just, like, it wasn't enough time, like, so I was like, okay, I'll give myself six months, and if we don't, if we don't get traction, then, then I'll quit, but I wanted to quit many times before then.
0: Did you hit a certain, was there a single, like, point or, like, thing you did that, change the trajectory or is it just like stacking bricks like things just kind of piled Mm up
1: yeah so there were there were several moments where we like got into a new market and that boosted us up that happened also that happened after we already had some traction but the from when we launched to december the, the i think what happened in december was it was the holidays and people were looking for wish lists so that helped but really, it wasn't just like that wouldn't have just happened if we hadn't put on all this work until that time. There were several very small like there were several even evangelists who I think, you know, just a few people posting like, oh, wish tender is so great. Somebody is going to see that when they search, you know, "Oh, what is this wish tender? Like, even if it's just like like five posts like that, it's still validating and all that work we did up until December left like a little bit of those crumbs. So I think if we, so we had like some reputation because I would, if somebody needed help, like I would get on a video call with them and like help them. So we, which is unusual for like this kind of product where the where like the the profit per customer is really, really low. You don't get on call usually, but because we did stuff like that, we had a lot of people who were just very supportive of, of the business who, gave a, a good rep, like helped our reputation. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said just for sticking around that really builds trust, you know, like it's hard to like, there's something exciting about a brand new product, but there's kind of an awkward period between a brand new product and having trust, you know, so it's like for the few months after your launch, you're this new project that just launched that has no reputation that people have no reason to trust you're actually going to stick around and, like, fulfill your promises and still be something they can use a year from now. But when they see you, you know, three months later still working on it, still, like, posting publicly, I think it does a lot for you at the brand and for you personally for people to be like, oh, it's Dash, I recognize her. Like, she sent me a DM six months ago. She's still working on this. I wonder what's what's changed.
1: Yeah, and that part's really hard. We had a lot of people, like, when we would DM them, like, they would accuse us of being, you know, scammers and... I felt very like I was being pushed out, and it's not a community I'm a part of. Like the adult industry, I'm not a part of that, so it felt like okay, they don't want me to come in here. If you're doing indie project and your customers are business people, so it's like a little different because you're a business person, and there's people aren't as I would think. I mean, I've never done that, but it seems like people are more welcoming. And when you go into especially the adult industry, like in the adult industry people are really skeptical of new businesses because some of these businesses take advantage of you. A lot of them are anonymous and kind of suspicious. And so it wasn't a super friendly environment in the beginning, but once we stayed around and like, like you said, like proved that we were in this for a long time, people started to really appreciate that. And now it's like a super friendly community. So it's made like this Total 180.
0: How have you been reaching out to people? Is it So you mentioned Twitter DMs. Has it been Twitter DMs 100% all the way through? Have you tried any other marketing channels?
1: We did. Uh, in the beginning, it was lots of DMs. It was like 60 to like 100 or 200 a day or something like that. And tweets that are meant to go viral in that they are like worded from the perspective of the user. So Gymshark does this really well where they'll tweet like, uh, I don't trust anyone whose favorite day is Ab Day or something like that. And they're not tweeting as a as an athletic clothing company. They're tweeting as somebody who buys athletic clothes. And so then their customers retweet it as if it's like, oh yeah, this is my perspective. So we do that. We kind of transitioned after a while. The DMing wasn't doing anything for us. I think I think we stopped in like March because it was just like already growing so much. And uh, but until then, we DMed lots of people every day. And then, and now it's word of mouth plus tweets. mm, Mm -hmm.
0: Word of mouth plus tweets. I think, I mean, that's a really good tip is like tweet or all your marketing communication really should be from the like point of view of your user, not of you as the business person, right? Which is a really hard thing, I think, to learn how to do. Was it, did you have like previous experience that made that easier for you or just kind of figure it out as you went?
1: No, I didn't have any experience with that. I just collected different accounts that I thought were cool, like Gymshark, Wendy's is really funny. I was looking at this company, Fast, for a while, but they don't exist anymore. And just seeing like went out how, of business fast. You, have you heard of Fast?
0: They were like a payments, like a one-click checkout.
1: Yeah, they kind of, they kind of like blew, like
0: they went fast. All right, <laughs> they yeah. got big fast, and then they crashed. They,
1: fast. And, they blew, and then they blew up in the bad way. They blew up in the good way, and then they blew up in the before way. But yeah, so yeah. but their their marketing was really good, and. Uh, they're one of these companies that, like, I, I think they it seems like they didn't really have much of a product, but they had really good marketing. So that's a good, that's a good like person to look for in marketing. Only like, don't do that thing with where your product doesn't really exist. But like, if you can, if like somebody can market really well and they don't really have a product, and that's like, they're a good example for what uh, to do. If with they can
0: do it with no product, you yeah. should be able to do it with some kind of product, right?
1: <laughs> so, uh, I looked at what. What all these different companies were doing, and again, I copied it pretty much. Yeah,
0: I think uh, Fire Festival is an interesting thing to look at as well for the same reason. Like, I don't know if you remember when they did this. Like, they were going to this island, and they really hyped it up, and everyone came, and it was like, you know, apocalyptic. And like, there's no way to use the bathroom. There's nothing to eat. Everyone was miserable. And it's like study. Like, you can definitely learn from the hype part of that. It's like, all right, if you're building a real thing, like, study what. These people who are selling just like snake oil manage to pull off.
1: Yeah. Learn what
0: works for them, apply it to your thing that's real, and then you have <laughs> both things.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: The hype and the product.
1: Yeah. I think same with um Elizabeth Holmes, is that her name? Mm-hmm. Like she also is. The Theranos. Yeah. Theranos, yeah. Yeah. I like to look at like how she presented herself. Although like it was a little strange, but like there seemed to be something about how she presented herself that made people trust her. But she was super untrustworthy so now if you can present yourself in a trustworthy way and also have be trustworthy then you'll do well
0: yeah i don't know maybe this is like the kind of neuro atypical way of viewing business is like okay here's how the uh here's how you're supposed to present yourself to be trustworthy here's how you're supposed to like build cool products let me learn these skills individually and then present myself as a trustworthy person with a good product
1: yeah maybe it's too like calculated <laughs>
0: But I'm right there with you. That's what I'm doing, too. It's just like, here, all right, here's how people have learned to, like, to to demonstrate trust and get people to follow along with their plans, and then let me apply that to something that I really believe in and I'm going to follow through on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: then you've got to find other people to be inspired on the product side and that are building really cool businesses from, like, an operational, like, a product standpoint. And learn from yeah. Them too. yeah. Or find somebody really cool to partner with Yeah. Who can, that's do the, awesome. who can fill in whatever gaps you have.
1: I think I really like copying, like or like taking inspiration. So like we copy a lot of businesses that have nothing to do with us, but, or like what we're doing, but like you can take from from all, like you can take from things that they're doing and apply it to your business. So, you know, like anytime we have a question like, oh, how does, like, how should we deal with taxes? Like we're a weird situation where people are getting gifts, gifts aren't taxed. Like, can we send 1099s out? Like, well, if we send 1099s out, then they're not gifts. And like, so we would look at, okay, it's a company that's doing something similar and like, what did they write on their website? So like GoFundMe is similar. So we just look at GoFundMe and like, they're not a wish list, but they have the same, that kind of structure where people are getting donations and they're not paying taxes on it. So just take from that. So my business is sort of a Frankenstein of a lot of different things that other businesses are doing and doing well.
0: Copying is super underrated. Like you don't have to be an original with everything you do. In fact, like, especially with taxes and stuff, you really don't want to be original. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you want to
0: copy what's working.
1: Yeah, you, don't want
0: to be... <laughs> you need to do one thing that's original really well. That's your core of your business. Everything else, like, can be copied, outsourced, delegated, because it's not the core of what you're offering, you know? No one cares that you have a really unique way of paying taxes, except for the mm-hmm. IRS, which will be mad at that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think learning to copy is, is its own skill and, and learning like, this is what we did with Twitter and it was kind of, it was kind of awkward at first. Cause it's like, okay, well you can't just, for some, for some tweets, we could literally just copy them and like replace one word. So like Mon- Monday, like there was something that Gymshark did that was like something, something Monday lifting. And we were like something, something Monday gifting. Like <laughs> so close. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I call that copying the wrapping paper, but not the present, you know? You find a really pretty wrapping paper that people, you know, a presentation people really like, and then inside the box, you put your thing instead of their thing.
1: Hmm. Didn't you do that enough times? You do it with the r- copying the wrapping paper enough times, and then you don't even, like, need to look at the other, the gifts that the other person is wrapping, and you start, you've, like, learned it yourself. So you've, like, copied the style, and now it's a part of you, and so now it's like very it's much more natural to to write tweets and we don't really always have to like look at other examples but you know if if you copy enough you like learn it you know same with like you could do that with ui if you copy ui enough you now know the tricks to like making a good ui you've like learned it through copying
0: i don't know if it was hemingway or what author this was some authors said that they would they like well, let's assume it was hemingway they like typed out the full novel of somebody that they really liked in order just to get the sense of what it felt like to write a really good novel right then they internalized that ability and used it in their own style to write uh the old man in the sea or whoever it was and whatever their their amazing book was right but i think Mm -hmm. there's a lot to be said for you know just like blatantly stealing shit Mm -hmm. stealing style not substance until you figure out your own style and like develop it and it comes in, you know, it gets processed and eventually it starts to come out as original and unique in in your own voice. Hmm. At the beginning though, it's really hard to know what will what people will vibe with and like what will get you the attention that you need to even start to get enough feedback to learn what your style is in the first place.
1: Yeah. It helps to follow your like your ideal user too. One of the things we made a mistake with in the beginning was like a lot of really hip accounts will we'll do everything in lowercase. So we did all our tweets in lowercase and we would get this reduced the amount of people who would retweet because our specific target market never, if you, if, if they're writing a tweet and they write the word me or I or mine or something like that, it's like always capitalized because a lot of them are in this like subset of adult world where they're like dominatrixes or something like that. So like they are really important. So everything can be lowercase, but me, my, always has to be uppercase. So having these other companies where everything was lowercase would get less retweets. And eventually we saw we followed all these people who were in our target market, and it's like, oh, they're all capitalizing me, my. So now we capitalize everything like that. So you gotta make sure, you gotta read the room as well.
0: That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, so I wanna dig in maybe a little bit into the user base of Wishtender. So what, it's focused on the adult creators, like people buying them gifts. Is that 100% or is it like 90% of Um, your creators?
1: Adult creators, it's like pretty much every, well, it's like, I would say it's like 99. Like there's like a few really random accounts that are not adult, including me. And I do get gifts.
0: Are you surprised when you see them? Is it like grandma who didn't realize what it was for and she signs up and like,
1: that's nice. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I've seen um, one time like a teacher signed up and they did not like it, it, there's no problem with you. There's nothing like inherently adult about the site. But I guess, you know, our branding is a, a sort of adult. So this teacher signed up, was like really excited about it and then and then deleted her account and blocked us. Like she got yeah. like what? She got a little
0: flustered. Yeah. Like, if you go to wishtender.com, I'm looking at it right now. It doesn't look super, like it looks pretty um, vanilla at mm-hmm. the face of it. It looks like just like a gift receiving service until you look like, okay, like the main example there is all four goddess. So like, okay, like if I would assume that's like a dominatrix or um, some kind of adult creator, but like I could kind of see you just kind of skimming over that. If you're really paying attention, like, wow, 2A anonymity, that's, that's interesting. That's one of the main features that they're highlighting. <laughs> like there's definitely clues about who's it really for, but I could also see Someone just stumbling in. So you get that 99% who know what the site is for and are using it as intended. Are they mostly like financial domination, like dominatrix types, or is it like the a broader spectrum of creators that have found this to be useful?
1: It's mostly FINDOM, which I didn't know what that was until I made Wish Tender. And I never heard that word. Maybe we could get
0: it. a quick definition for the <laughs> uninformed.
1: Yeah, so FINDOM, financial domination... Is this I get like it's a kink where people enjoy buying things for people and giving their money to people. Uh, so that would be the sub side. That's the submissive likes buying things and the dom, the dominant receives things. So these people often are never naked. The dominant, the dominance like they're they don't they're not like. What do you would think of a typical adult content creator? They may have an OnlyFans, but they may mm-hmm. sit there and with their clothes on and just say kind of sassy things. Maybe they'll say, like, usually the most nasty you'll get is, like, in what they say, but they don't usually take their clothes off. Uh, and, but a lot of times they'll dress, like, kind of sexy, but um, it's 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 all about the the money is what, like, People like buying things for someone. So, so yeah, they love gender because we, both sides really like it. And we really cater to that niche's issues that comes up.
0: Have you done anything to make it like customizable? Like can the creator send send, like a customized like sassy message back depending on like who Um, they are and what their, what their brand is? Like, oh, uh, thanks sub for this hat. I guess I'll wear it.
1: Uh, so right now, like, there's not there, there's there's not really anything to customize so much at the moment. But we've kind of thought about like building things into the site that kind of help that like the sassiness. And people have told us like, oh, we should change. We have like a suggested tweet, and it was it was like, you can buy me a gift. And people were like, it should say, you have to buy me a gift. <laughs> Buy me a gift. Which is actually, um, you can't say that in uh, Finland or something like that. So we had to remove that so our Finnish users could. There's something about Mm. um, Finland, you cannot tell somebody to buy you a gift for legal reasons. Like it's not a gift. So anything on our, so like we had a Finnish person ask us to change something that said that so that they could use a product. And So anyways, we're like, you know, we want to cater to this subgroup but we also don't want to be classified as like a adult site by google or whatever because that could affect things we just want to be like we want that group to be able to use our site really effectively
0: nowadays you're mostly growing through word of mouth right and your your most of your customers are these like fin creators have you figured out like where findoms are hanging out and if you found any way to kind of embed your product more into those communities where
1: they already are Yeah, like, they hang—a lot of them are on Twitter. They're not on Instagram so much, and I think it's because it's really hard to do anything, like— Mildly adult on Instagram, um, like we get flagged for nudity on Instagram when we do a screenshot of our app because, like, maybe we tagged OnlyFans in there so that people who use OnlyFans will find us, and then and then Instagram just like assumes there's a naked person in that picture. So
0: ah, uh, they're like, you must be driving traffic to your OnlyFans. Why else would you be tagging?
1: Yeah, OnlyFans. Which, yeah. What's weird is that we all we often do a human review. You can you can apply, uh, appeal for a human review, and the human mm-hmm. will. Confirm that there's nudity in the picture. So okay. I'm not really sure what's going on at in Instagram, but uh, yeah, Instagram and, and TikTok are is similar too. Like they are very sensitive to anything you say. So Twitter has been good for us, and it, and likewise, it's also good for our users. They also experience the same thing when they're on Instagram or TikTok, and which happens to work out really well because I was really familiar with Twitter already.
0: Yeah, she kind of mm-hmm. just looked out there. Yeah. Um have you considered going to like any trade shows or anything at this point?
1: Yeah, but the I don't know if my target market will be there because I think people at trade shows are a lot, uh they'll do a lot more in person, I don't know, in-person domination or something it, it, which isn't really our target market cuz they don't they're not as concerned about their privacy because they're taking more risks, you know. So we're, our our target is like online. You know, mostly users who are in the online world and not go, probably not going to trade shows. Although the, it it may be there may be a crossover, but also just hasn't lined up that we've there's been a trade show where we were or something like that. Yeah,
0: I could see other like horizontal markets for you to move into too. Like like I've heard some really crazy, scary stories about like Japanese pop stars being being stalked and their fans figuring out where they are from like a reflection in their eyeball and things like that. Oh, like, yeah, so I feel like, but they have the same thing where they want people to be able to buy them things and like they want they like make money from their fans in like a direct way. So I wonder if there isn't like other groups of people who have this same desire, both for getting people to buy them things and also protecting their identity and making it really hard for people to figure out where they actually hang out and live.
1: We had a competitor that started out really similar to us And then they transition into Twitch streamers. and But I think it's somewhat difficult to keep an adult market and transition to another non-adult market because the non-adult market, it may get turned off by your branding and the adult market will get turned off if you stop doing adult branding because they're like, we made you all this money and you like threw us away for a new market and... So it, it may be difficult, but like, I don't know, I, yeah, I, the, the, the other thing is like, if you're on Wishtender, some people may not be, want to be associated with the leaderboard. We have a leaderboard and the top of the leaderboard is all adult people.
0: All right. Now i got to find this leaderboard. Can I see it without having an account? Yeah. Leaderboard.
1: So on this top, there's a little star icon.
0: Oh, okay. There we go. So the top 0.01%, how much are those like top 1%? So making. making
1: so let me think. I would say around twenty or thirty thousand dollars a month or something I'm I have to look, but I remember like one was tweeting like one like one of the times mm-hmm. that somebody was on the top one month it was like they were tweeting all what they were getting that day and and I think they got up to like they got up to twenty thousand in one day, so I think in the whole month they maybe did like thirty thousand or something like
0: and that and is that just their wish tender or is that like all their income?
1: That's just through wish Tender. They make more so, on other things. So
0: too. they're making it. So it's interesting to see too. The top three are all men. I would have guessed oh, yeah. they would be women. We've yeah, got yeah. Alpha Aesthetic, Alpha God, and the Bicep King at numbers one, two, and three. Yeah. So they're they're doing really good. So if the top one percent is making, well, I guess is that the the tippy top? What you said is around like twenty, thirty thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, and it it might be. I just I just I'm going off what they've publicly said. Like, so like I I think. I think it was Alpha Aesthetic, it said publicly, like, that, I think he was the person, is it Alpha Aesthetic 8?
0: Yeah, Alpha Aesthetic 8.
1: I think he was, he posted, like, he made $20,000 in one day, and then he was still making the rest of the month, too, but it's usually, like, a big, ju- they'll do, like, a big jump in one day, and then uh, it's a little quiet other times, but I think, so I'm, I think, I think, yeah, the top is, like, 20, maybe 40,000, somewhere in that range, yeah.
0: All right so I'm looking at Alpha Aesthetic 8, the top creator on the platform his wish list so you can buy him a coffee breakfast dinner you can just send him cash I get like massages cleaning service interesting do you give any um do you have any data on like what kind of gifts convert really well
1: mm no that would be interesting but i have n- I don't have any data on that
0: when I look at the next guy Alpha Alex he's got a much wider selection of things like specific Items he wants. He's like, oh, I want like these gloves. I want like a bottle of Dom Perignon. I'm not sure how to say it. He wants a bottle of champagne. <laughs> he wants a, a Spotify subscription. And like prices range a lot too. So now I'm looking at the next couple down. Interesting. And so on, if I'm looking now, I'm looking at Goddess Blaze, the first woman on the wish list, number four. She's oh. got some that are like specific to particular creators. It's like this one's f- for you. Jay, and I'm guessing Jay is like the first name of a person.
1: Oh, like something like oh, Jay, you, I, I put this on you for on here for you to buy. I haven't seen yeah. that. Well oh, that's that's cool.
0: Yeah, it looks like people are using this in really creative ways. And then some of the accounts are anonymous, and so that means they don't want to be on the on the leaderboard.
1: Right. Some a lot of times it, they do, but they don't realize they're anonymous.
0: Mm, is it opt in to be on the leaderboard? Yeah. Gotcha. It seems like the for their target market, which is people who want to spend money, that there's probably like some virtuous, uh, like a virtuous cycle there, right? Like if they're going up the leaderboard, same as people will be like, oh, I'm top 1% of like OnlyFans or whatever. Some people like, they choose someone that they really want to support, right? And then they're encouraged to buy even more in order to see their creator go up.
1: Yeah, they'll, and the creators will ask too. They'll be like, like, get me to the top. I mean, usually like in this in, in this niche, they'll word it like top eight. That's pathetic. Get me to top three or something like that. Right.
0: Do you have any, like, have you found that the, the doms, like the fin doms that are posting, are they also watching other people's feeds? So like would a dom find out about wish tender through like another doms, like materials?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll like, it's very shareable. You know, you, you can share when you post an item, you can share your whole list, wish list. Like we put little share buttons everywhere. You can share when you've received an item. So and then people want to share so that their fans buy them gifts. And because of that, it's like very word of mouth and people just find out about it and from other DOMs and then the other DOMs sign up. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. So you've kind of leaned into the word of mouth and done some things to to make it even easier.
1: Yeah. Oh, this world. is
0: interesting, too. So in the top, like, 10 is where you see most of the men. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of anonymous accounts. Maybe there's more men that are anonymous. But once you get out of the top few, so the top three are all men. But as you as I go down from there, it's almost all women from there on out. Like, there's maybe a couple other guys on the leaderboard overall.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, that I think that makes sense. We had an uh, influx of, like, very big... What they call alphas which are like the guy version of doms we had an influx of like very big alphas join and yeah they do i guess they do really well but there's less of them yeah
0: mm. do you think that's like the industry overall it's like many female doms a few men but the men that are going for it are like really going for it
1: i don't know i have like some theories of why they do so well i don't really know what the other what the other like what it looks like in other places but yeah i don't know we we actually did had no idea that there were all these alphas until a few months ago we had like no guys on the site and then a bunch of guys just joined and they did really well and they're like our top people now
0: we're coming close to time do you have any advice in particular for indie hackers who want to try to break into the any kind of adult niche? Is there anything you think that's really particular to to your world that other indie hackers Mm -hmm. just maybe don't have to deal with?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's really hard at the beginning. So just like keep going is number one. Like, I mean, you, you have to know when to quit too. But I think that it really helped to put my face out. Like we did live video giveaways on Twitter. My face is in the pinned, there's a video of me in the pinned post. I think that really helps to say, Hey, look, I am not afraid to be associated with the adult industry. I want to like treat you guys just like you're any other customer. And they're not used to that treatment. Cause a lot of people are afraid of being associated with them for whatever reason, sometimes it's cause they don't want to be associated with the adult world. Sometimes it's because they are planning on screwing everybody over. And so they don't show their face, but, um, Yeah, first name, last name, face. I even put my cell phone number on the site, like very much the opposite of what I'm doing for them. I'm providing them anonymity and I'm like, this is everything about me. I'm super public. Like you can trust me. That was a, I think that made a big difference because I think it's like, they just don't, they don't see that.
0: Nice. How about, Mm -hmm. so you didn't quit, you kept going. Did you set for yourself uh, an idea of like, all right, well you said you set a time limit to yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. six months and then you're gonna quit if you don't hit like ramen profitability, right? If you're trying to break into the adult industry, then go full non-anonymous and it'll help you stand out. Yeah. You're maybe one of the only wholesome builders of thing of of services for adult creators. Like we often hear about Like the the founders of like really big services almost always seem to be really skeezy people, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas you seem to have built a service around your personality, which is like actually very wholesome and stands out. It's maybe like your secret sauce for kind of sticking out Mm -hmm. in the industry.
1: Sometimes the reason that the sites are run by anonymous founders is because they're actually the founders from site before they went skeezy.
0: How about what are things that you see that um? So if somebody's searching for an idea to build right now, do you see any open problems that you think somebody should solve? Ideally, an indie hacker and not another scam artist.
1: mm I mean, everybody, everybody in is like in the adult world is always complaining about payment processing. You know, I don't know. That sounds like a hard problem to solve, though. And there's always someone coming in trying to solve that problem. You know, to be like the Stripe for adult and, and like, we're not really adult, like on, we can use Stripe because we're just doing gifts, but we market to adult But like, if you wanted to do an actual adult site, yeah like everyone's always complaining about payment processors. and I don't think that's something really you could do without funding, but I don't know, because I do know some people who are trying to do it, but I think like what, what enabled me to do wish tender was Looking at those problems and saying, like, how can I get around that as an indie hacker and provide a tool that that helps uh, SWs, sex workers? So like like I realized, okay, if I'm if they're just getting gifts, they don't need to pay these huge fees. So let me just like cater this to them in a way to be like, hey, this is how you can get regular fees and make money. And like, I'm going to tell you every the way what to do. I'm going to build a product that's going to help you do that. So that I feel like I'm, I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but that makes sense.
0: Yeah. You're, you, well, I think it goes back to what you said before of like, you're treating them like a normal customer and not like some but somebody that needs to be held at arm's length.
1: Well, I think what, what I'm, what I was trying to say more is looking, looking for places to help them where people are afraid to go because of the because of the challenges so like people are afraid to do products for adult workers because it's high chargeback so i thought okay i'm gonna make wish tender be really hard to charge back and now there's this product that they can make money on and it's like beneficial to them and it, it works for an indie hacker does that, does that more make sense
0: yeah what did you do to make it really hard for to charge back
1: a lot of it is in our terms. Uh, if you're buying gift for somebody, there's not going to be a lot of reasons that like a bank is going to accept that you can charge back a gift. Uh, the other thing is like our security settings, like our 3DS settings. Um, we don't allow any gifts to go through that uh, are not protected by uh, bank liability. So like most online, uh, most online purchases, the merchant has to cover it. Um, we don't let any. Anything go through where the merchant has to cover it, we only let it go through if the bank is gonna cover it, um, if it's a fraudulent purchase. Yeah, just like tweaking things so that we circumvent all the issues that the ad- adult uh, world uh, experiences. And I think there's probably a lot of places where that, where people can find that because I think people are afraid to do that. And like, if wherever there's fear, it's a good place to look for uh, an opportunity.
0: All right, that's a good endable quote. Find opportunity in fear, yeah, all right. thanks so much for coming on the pod. Where should people find out more about you and the things that you're building?
1: So they can find me on Twitter at Dash barcus and you could also find me the same name on Twitter or on Instagram, and you can find me on LinkedIn with my full name. but Twitter is the biggest the best place to find me.
0: All right, thanks, Dash. I'll let you know when we've got that workshop put together for how to.
1: outsource effectively.